This is a special edition episode of the MASH Startup Podcast. Welcome to Making Moments, a seat at the table presented by Rupert and Rothschild. The Making Moments series is a business event designed to inspire the new generation of business people and entrepreneurs like you. Taking our cue from the pursuit of excellence, distinctive craftsmanship, and elegant simplicity of our three wines, the third edition of our Making Moments series invites you to take a seat at the table. Visionaries Desiree Makroff, Nunu Jingila, and Zoe Mudiha shared their unique, diverse, and connected stories of path-making and place-making with you, our community, at this third edition of our Intimate Gathering. We kicked off this discussion with our incredible guests with a simple question. What does it mean to have a seat at the table? Um, I think for me, the it's really about a place where um, you can absorb um, wisdom. When you start out in your career, and I've got a lot of young people you know, coming in wanting to be producers, and you think you know a lot about making films in my particular case. But it's when you're sitting around that table and you are an absorbing a sort of collective wisdom um, that you really start to see yourself in the space. Where are you? Um, how do, what can you contribute? And I think those kind of conversations never happen uh, in the workplace or in the fast movement of, you know, whilst you're on your own in your career. And especially in, in the film industry, it's also about just absorbing, um, being in a place where you can absorb thought, where you can be with thought leaders, um, and, and, and also where you feel that you can have a voice. I think being at the table is important in the beginning to be quiet and absorb, but at some point you have to create a space where people have a voice at that table too. Um, and I think that's a really important thing in a leadership place is to, you know, often the quietest person at that table is the one that is going to come out with the most interesting creative thought in our case. Um, and often the table is filled with a lot of noise. And so I think for me it's about giving space to people to be heard at the table, not only to receive. Sangonani. Um, I hope everyone's cool. I'm happy to be here. I feel like me being one of the speakers amongst incredible <laughs> world builders is an example of being given a seat at the table. So I, I wear it with a badge. I wear it with a badge. But when I think of the phrase having a seat at the table, for me it's, it's the very basic thing. It's being able to, you know, I just think of a oh mama busy chopping onions. I think of people singing along, preparing, which is what I would almost compare us mingling before everything began to. I think of uh, different members of a family coming, sitting together in one place, being able to take each other in. There's mm -hmm. gossip on one end. There's catching up with, oh, how's, how's your year been? There's um, talking about how someone's salad wasn't the best <laughs> thing that they could have offered to the table. <laughs> Um, but it's ultimately just coming together of, of one spirit, one mind, and being able to share and being able to listen, being able to take each other in, which I believe we're all doing today and we will be doing today. 
And yeah, I think that's that's what having a seat at the table is for me. Yeah. It's it's so amazing to have you here and be where you guys are right now. But going back to the very beginning of your journey, how did you find and develop a clear vision for the journey that you actually wanted to have? But also, how did you navigate when things didn't go as planned? We'll start with you, Zoe. You know, I was reading. Well, I wasn't reading. I was actually busy spring cleaning my apartment today. And I was finding myself having a lot of intrusive thoughts. I find that a lot of my battle personally is, is my mind. It's never people. It's never what people say. It's what I say to myself. Mm. And so how I try to combat that is with affirmations. Sometimes I find those cheesy as well, but they do help me. <laughs> um, but this particular morning, I was listening to um, a teaching by Dr. Miles Monroe. And he was talking about the fact that everything comes from ideas. Everything. Us meeting here in one place, someone had to decide to catch the Uber so that we could gather here. Um, Everything comes from ideas. And then it made me think about the very first time I saw a production. And it was Ipindombi. Ipindombi, I must not have been older than four years old. I don't remember much about this production, but I remember the feeling it gave me. I remember the dancers coming towards us and dancing in the audience. <laughs> and I think for me, the fact that that was able to give me that feeling, it was the first idea of having some kind of a vision um, over what it is that I want to do, which is to make people feel deeply, to be the soundtrack to people's lives with my music, to be able to reflect the times, hopefully, with what I'm sharing and what I have to give. And so clear vision for me is something that I feel like I've learned into, um, but I think it is important to be able to navigate things. You know, without a clear vision, without an idea, we wouldn't be here today. I would not be making music. We wouldn't be doing any of the things that we do. Um, and I think for me, has been an anchoring thing. And when things don't go my way, I am not gracious about it. <laughs> I, I am so hard-headed. Things have to go my way. I'm a very impatient person because I find that um, I believe I have a gifting that carries a lot of weight. And so I'm impatient to see how that follows through. Um, and I think the first half of this year has just been me learning to navigate that. But I've realized that, you know, sometimes things are not supposed to go the way you think they are. Um, and sometimes that's exactly the pivot that's supposed to be happening. Um, I don't know what pivot brought me here in this seat, but I'm grateful for it. Because this has been a goal of mine to be here with titans, dynamic people, sharing space, sharing ideas and thoughts. And goodness, if that's what things going different than you planned looks like, then that's it. I'm game. Yes. <laughs> Desiree. Um, I don't know where it really started. I mean, I think that, um, like lots of young people, when I was younger, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I think there's a huge amount of pressure, um, especially now, uh, much more than when I was younger, about people finding their path in life. And, uh, you know, I think for me, I mentioned in the interview that I was lucky in, in a start but I think a big thing for me and that, is, that I've really followed for most of my life is 
is saying yes to new experiences. Um, and when something feels a little bit scary or a little bit, um, I'm not sure I'm good enough, I don't think I can do it, mm-hmm. is when I've said yes and lent into it. And for me, that's been really important in the growth in my career. Um, and then I think, you know, the other thing has been at some point when you start to gather enough momentum and you know what it is that you want to do. And I don't really know when I, I decided I wanted to be a producer. I sort of was doing all sorts of jobs in the film industry. I started as a runner. I did continuity. I, and I'd always had this idea that I would like to write, but I didn't think I was any good at it. And it took me 30 years, I think, to learn to be a writer, to to really lean into it and to experience life and to have something that I felt I could contribute. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, like you, I'm not very good about things when they don't go my way. <laughs> um, but I, I will always say, well, okay, this isn't working, so how can I get around it? What's the other route? There must be another way. If somebody says you can't do that, I'm more determined to do it and just to find a way around it. Um, and there's always a way around it. If you step back and you really think about it. And one of the things that <clears throat> I do a lot um, when I'm stuck with something is I, I sort of imagine that I'm standing at the top of a balcony and I'm looking down at the problem or the, or the thing that I want to achieve. And I'm trying to imagine where am I on this dance floor of the experience and how am I going to move from there to there? Because I think when you pull yourself up and look down at your situation you'll always find a path out. And so that's helped me get over obstacles of when, I, when it doesn't go my way. No, no. I think both, both of you have encapsulated it very, very well. And I, I always believe that if you have this vision and if this vision comes to you early and it's clear and sometimes linked either to a passion or a gift, I think that's good and well. I think there's this another path, and I belong to the other path. I, don't, I never have a vision. I didn't have this vision to be this person that I am. And it's along the way I come back to all your questions to coming back to self and understanding who I am and what I want to be. And then that, for me, begins to shape where I am. It leads me to spaces that I have to be in. And it also allows me to get out of spaces that are no longer serving me. So the journey for me has always been, I absolutely want to make sure that wherever I am, I want to be the best that I can be and I want to make sure that I change everything fundamentally because we grew up in a place of apartheid. You always have this mindset, we have to change things and make them better. So I grew up with that vision that wherever I go and wherever I plant myself, my vision will be to take that and make it better. So when I got into advertising, I got in there Did I want to be there? No. I landed there by sheer chance. Then I sat there and I said, what does Nunu want? I want to make sure that I leave this industry changed because I did not like what it looked like. 
And that for me is vision. Once you sit there and you look at where you are and you describe yourself in that circumstance. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do about Africa. I wanted to make sure that I build a network throughout Africa. It had never been done. All agencies were individual. There are some countries that had never had an agency in the continent. I said, I'm going to make sure I get into each and every country and tell people about the story, uh, the power of storytelling uh, through advertising. So it is about sometimes, yes, a vision that's complete, that you can see. I think that's great. And it's also about allowing yourself. And Michelle Obama said in her book that at any point in time, you have the opportunity to become. Mm. It's that whole idea of opening yourself to become that thing. Sitting at an ad agency when I was 22, tech did not exist. So how could I have envisioned working in tech? Mm. I could never have done that. But as time evolves, we should be the students of our own lives, the students of what's happening around us, so that we continue to fulfill, to morph, to change, and become that thing. So yes, have I had knocks along the way? Plenty. I could sit this whole night and talk about knocks. Earlier on in my ad agency, when I went back into advertising, I went back to settle scores. Um, I looked at this and I'm like, I'm going to go back. I'm not going to work in advertising. I want to go and own something. We bought a company and I remember very well once driving up, I think it was William Nichol, Financial Mail used to have those headlines to, so that you can buy the newspaper. We bought shares in this company, it was Ogilvy, and the headline was Ogilvy Tumbles. So literally, everybody had thought we had bought the biggest dad on earth. You know, how could we have spent so much money buying this company that's going down? But you lean into that, you get in, mm-hmm. and you say, I'm going to make sure that I make this work and, and change it and change it for the better. It ended up being the largest agency in the whole continent of Africa. Um, yeah. but, so vision for me has been different. I, I, I don't have a script where this is my vision. Mm. And um, earlier on, they asked me, what am I going to do now that I've stepped back? I'm sitting and just letting it come. So Mm. that's vision too. Mm. What mentality did you have to have early in your journey to navigate being young and ambitious and wanting to learn, but also growing and progressing as quickly as possible? Um, I'll start with you, Nunu. Um, you know, I... Uh, who? Who? Nunu. <laughs> <laughs> We're all ready to. <laughs> I think the, the issue I have with your question is, is that as quickly as possible. Um, and having... Sitting on this side of my life, I can say it's just the ability to go and learn. Mm. Look at your life in blocks. I can tell you, and I'm looking at each and every one of you, you still have so much to do in your life. Time is there. It's on your side. 
So I would say it's not there as quickly as possible. It's going in there, it's learning as much as possible. Once you sit in a meeting, and somebody once taught me to be able to listen to hear, and I still do that. And if you feel you're still in that job or you're in that company and it's no longer giving you those butterflies, it's no longer doing that stuff to you, you know it's now time to learn something new. It's time to move on. It's time to... So you have to listen to yourself and understand yourself when you're no longer fulfilled. And that's the time you need to move. It's not a year. It's not six months. It's not three months. Mm. It's not that. And that's not how I have looked at my life. I've seen and I've sat in meetings and I'm like, this is no longer serving me. I'm no longer learning anything. So that's how I would look at it. And that's how I'd answer your question. Was that quick? Um, it wasn't quick. But it was making sure at every point in time I'm learning as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, I don't think it was quick for me either, but I think for me, um, really, in the beginning was that I was, I was very driven to be the best. I wanted to be good at what I did. It didn't matter what it was. And I've, I've, I've always had that somehow ingrained in me. If somebody comes to the office to visit and there's nobody to make tea, I will make tea and it must be in a beautiful cup and it must look nice. And so it doesn't matter what it is. You've got to do something with intent and focus and do it well. And um, so, so I think that's a, a, a drive, I guess, is what it is, is drive to be good. And once I had mastered things in my career, and I feel like I'm always mastering them because there's always something new. This is such an evolving industry um, entertainment and storytelling is a constantly evolving thing and it's not only the technology that is evolving but also how do we talk to each other is evolving what are we interested in is evolving what we're interested in today and what entertains us today is not going to be the same in a year so one's got to be constantly reading the zeitgeist of the time and of the room and of the moment and for me that has been um, a, something that has given me drive all the time. Am I relevant? Is what I'm doing important? Does it have meaning? Does it have purpose in the space that I'm in? And I think in that process, you, 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 you stay driven all the time. Yeah. Oh, man. So for me, this question reminds me of, you know, sometimes we just word vomit and we tweet and we share ideas with the world and I was thinking this, this week about how honestly for as young as I can remember I've always felt like I'm in a rush <laughs> like I don't have time I've always had this feeling that I'm not going to live very long and so I need to do things quickly I cannot tell you where that feeling comes from but I very much relate to the idea of wanting to do it and do it the best way that I possibly can. And I think my resolve right now is that I, I just want to enjoy the moment. I want to enjoy this moment. 
I don't want to be so concerned about what it's going to mean in the next 15 minutes. I don't want to be thinking, okay, now I guess I'm thinking about this, but <laughs> I don't want to be thinking about the tour that, I'm, uh, that we're about to do and, and the things that come with putting that together. But I just, I just want to be in the moment more. And I think I come from a, a generation of people who've seen the time before cell phones, portable cell phones. We've seen the time before Wi-Fi. So we've seen the idea of time being spent and not rushing towards anything, everything all the time. And I kind of want to reset my mind. I want to send my mind back into traffic settings and just kind of go back to that. Because I feel like the purpose is there. The vision is coming along. You know, this moment, I think, is also adding to my idea of that clear vision. Mm. But I just want to enjoy this. And I think I don't do that enough. And so, yeah, for me, that's, that's how I make sense of that, of that question. And I believe there is a success in, in having a balance, you know, thriving for what you thrive for, taking the calculated risks, uh, experiencing the failures, and the victories that sometimes they do they are they victories? Do they feel like <laughs> everyone's congratulating you, but you're like, mm, I don't know. This is not how I thought it would feel, <laughs> you know. So for me, I, I want this this warmth that's in this room. I want to remember this and then carry it with whatever purpose I'm supposed to be fulfilling, whatever role I'm supposed to be playing, whatever deadlines I'm supposed to be meeting, and then obviously. You know, I want to do it at 110% because mm. I want to leave the impression as well. I want to be unforgettable in a space. I, and I, more than the look of it, I want the feeling of it to carry as well. And I think maybe that just begins in, in just being present and being there when I'm there. Yeah. Mm. So just to stay with you, Zoe, um, obviously you mentioned just like tweeting out your thoughts a lot. And I spent some time on your timeline, and there was something just... Oh, boy. What you, <laughs> like what you were speaking about, about time and just being conscious in it, right? I think we're a generation that's very obsessed with instant gratification and maybe lacking in patience as well. Um, how important is it to set your own pace and being conscious about how you use that time meaningfully to really go through your journey? So I'm in a generation that grew up to Hannah Montana, right? And for those of you who don't know, Hannah Montana is, okay, Miley Cyrus. And Miley Cyrus is my exact age. So I grew up watching a whole lot of people that were my age that were receiving all these incredible platforms. So you can imagine watching Disney and then you're just seeing yourself, but you are on the couch and that person is kind of... <laughs> you know, experiencing something, they're kind of moving along with life, you know? Um, and I think from that, there's always been this idea that, like, this needs to happen now. I mean, I, I, I auditioned for uh, a show called The Voice, South Africa. Mm. And in my mind, by the, temp by the time I was 22, I was supposed to be a superstar, you know? Like, I, I had a deadline. I had <laughs> things to do, you know? And... Um, I kind of realize the importance of instant gratification sometimes because I think it means immediate reaction with audience. Mm. So I get to see that, oh, no, just, you know, put a little comment on my tour dates. Oh, Gola just 
put a like. Oh, my word. Danny just said hi on my post. I get to see kind of the ways in which we interact with each other, and that is our language, you know? Um, but at the same time, I know my, my walk is, is not something I've figured out. It's not something I've figured out. Um, and it's something that has always lended itself to patience. Um, I found that my road has just, I mean, it hasn't made me land into superstardom, but it has shown me impactful spaces. <laughs> Am I a superstar? <laughs> okay, then never mind. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Take I was it, kidding. Take it. <laughs> I take it. I am a superstar. Okay. But I found that like there's been so much patience just behind all of this beautiful gifting that's been given that I've had to, to learn. And that as much as there are those immediate uh, posts and immediate comments and, in, and immediate likes, there's also just a lot of climbing the mountain that's constantly having to happen. You know? um, and I did say earlier that I'm a very impatient person. So I find that one of my biggest lessons on a human level is to be more patient, mm. and that somehow is linked to my purpose, which is um, reflecting the times, which is telling our stories, which is hopefully writing music that is the soundtrack to people's lives. Uh, all of that requires a patience. And we were having a conversation earlier where Ukola was mentioning... I'm sorry. But Ukola <laughs> was mentioning something that I... I guess I always assumed it was different for someone who's in a different profession of telling stories, but it was so interesting to me when he was talking about um, how work takes time, that you have to live through certain things, you have to work on that punchline over time, like you, okay, I'm not going to go into much of the details that you shared, but you have to, (laughs) someone has to beat you up, you know. So that you, you can kind of cultivate those stories over time. And I guess what, what did I think it would be? Uh, wanting to be a storyteller and wanting to reflect the times means observing them. But it means observing the times. So what time am I observing if it's just 24 hours in a day? It is going to look like years sometimes. It's going to look like months mm. sometimes. It's going to look like decades other times. I'm sure there's other stories I'm only going to be able to tell much later on, uh, if God willing, I happen to still be here in the flesh. Uh, But I do think that the power of patience and of seeing things through is that ultimately what we share outlives us. Mm. And it, it does stand the test of time, and it is timeless. So with that being said, I think the patience is worth it. Do I have it most of the time? No. And I don't like to pretend that I do. But I think the universe does teach me to, to stay the course anyway and to work through it and to get those revelations, you know, um, that, that take time and, and to see it through. And, and that's a beautiful thing, that all those stories then come from that, that time. It truly is. It is a beautiful thing. Desiree, this one is specifically for you. Um, when we met just to do the interview with the intros, you mentioned that you just came back from Cape Town from this like, writing retreat because you felt that that was the best environment for you to write the best work that you could. And you also mentioned that you only write p- 
past midnight, <laughs> in the cold and dead of night when it's absolutely quiet. Um, how important is that process to help you do your best work? But also, how do you build the right habits and find the right formula to doing the best work in the work that you do? Um, well, I, I really like solitude because I think um, we, we live in a space where there's so much noise around us all the time and you have to be present absorbing the noise because if you're going to create stories, you want to hear uh, what people are saying and what people are feeling and so you have to be present and in the conversation. But when you want to reflect that conversation back in any meaningful way, I think you need solitude for that. You need to be able to take all these things, these learnings in, these experiences, these moments. And for me, that's definitely when I'm alone and when I don't speak for a few days because even my own voice irritates me. I've got to get rid of my own voice and your, and your logic. You know, you, there's so much logic driving you all the time and yeah. I've got to do this and I mustn't forget to phone that person. And a creative process sometimes just is about being quiet and feeling what surfaces. So I'm not a writer that writes necessarily, you know, I don't sit and write an entire show. There's teams of people. But... but Often it's about all those ideas that come and I have to look at them and surface which is the best, which is the truest. And for me that is solitude and it doesn't really matter where it is. It can be right here in my bedroom. I just close the door and switch everything off for a while. It's nice to get to Cape Town. The sea is beautiful. and <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's cold because then you stay indoors. Um, and, the, and late at the night is, is the time also, I think, I don't know, in, your, in my body clock, but I think everybody has a different body clock, and you have to listen to it in, in whatever you're creating. If it's a new idea for a business, or if it's a new idea for a show, or, you know, if you're responding to a brief that you've been given to, is to just be quiet and still and find honesty in what you're going to give back. Yeah. Because I think that it doesn't matter, even if, you, you know, you, in advertising you've got to sell something, for example, but you've still got to find the honesty in the emotion, in the characters that you are portraying, you know, in, 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 in the story. So quietness is really important. Uh, listening and then being quiet and seeing what cream floats to the top. Thank you so much. No, no, this one is for you. With over 35 years' experience in business leadership roles across industries, you've helped a lot of international companies really figure out and navigate the African landscape, which is unlike anything else in the world. What does it take to start and grow something meaningful on this continent? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Only easy questions tonight, guys. Only easy questions. <laughs> you know, I have to be honest that when I started, I started thinking, oh, it's Africa, it's the continent. Of course, these are my people. I've got this. Um, and very soon you learn how, how diverse the continent is. And we say this, and, but we actually don't understand it. You know, and if you think about... 
um, our histories. French West Africa is so different from the Portuguese South. So one thing I learned in, in, in building that was just the ability to go in there and build amazing partnerships with the people. So the way you go into Namibia is going to be very, very different to the way you're going into Nigeria. Nigeria and Ghana are right next to each other, but they could not be more different from a business point of view. So what I very, very quickly learned was just really, really understanding the people, understanding what, what makes them tick, and how to build partnerships in those, uh, in those regions. And in, in, in advertising, we ended up having four types of partnerships. And all of you, as you build your companies and your businesses, you decide, am I going to go and do a complete buyout? Am I going to do a joint venture? Is this going to be a minority ownership or a majority ownership? And I trust you, all those may be decisions that are written in business books, but also it goes to the culture of the people. In Kenya, you can, you can go and have a majority-owned company and be okay because they cannot understand that level of partnership. In Nigeria, it's a non-thing. You just do not do that. So it really is truly about sitting down and understanding the people that you're going to partner with and understanding the, their culture and how it influences their decision-making and go ahead and build that. And be comfortable with navigating that discomfort. Mm -hmm. And particularly from a South Africa point of view, you have to be very comfortable and humble yourself into those spaces. A lot of South African companies have made grave and very expensive mistakes in this continent. And they have nothing to do with the business itself. And I hear sometimes a certain company is leaving X market. It's not because that business is not doing well. It's because something fundamentally has broken down in the relationship and in the partnership that they have built. I used to go sometimes to Nigeria to get our annual dividend. And I would know that um, if I have a meeting on Tuesday, I'll book to leave Nigeria on Sunday. Because somebody's not going to show up on the day that I want them to show up. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's going to miss something. So you kind of sit there and you understand but you also find the right partners. You're going to try and find the right partners, but you have to understand people's cultures. And I think in, 30, in 34 countries, you can bunch those cultures into three or four or five, and you start to begin to build those business relationships. And then you start taking out your, your MBA book that says what's the difference between a merger and a minority stake, or even... The politics in this country are so crazy, I'm not going to be able to navigate. You know what? Here's my license. You pay me a license fee of X, and I'll see you at the end of the year. And so that is what it's like building um, a business throughout the continent. 
you cannot just take what works here and put it throughout the continent, particularly what works in South Africa. What works in the north does not work. Our Ghanaian partnership was very different to our Nigerian partnership, and you can literally walk across the border. Mm. So it is about the beauty and the diversity of this continent. It's beautiful, it's wonderful in its challenges and in its opportunities, and it just continues to thrive, and you have to work through that. And it's beautiful when it works. It's hard, but it's beautiful when it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, I I don't want to monopolize this conversation. I do have, like, about 50 questions. (laughs) And if you let me, I can keep going. But we really want to make sure that you get the full experience of this and you can ask your own questions, right? So the team have two microphones, one on either side. Please put up your hand. Um, I'm just asking one more question. After that, you can ask a couple of questions so that we can really get you to also learn what you really want to learn from the people that you want to learn it from as well. Cool? So, I should be seeing all hands. <laughs> okay, I'm seeing... Okay, that's about six. That's a, Okay. <laughs> that's good. This is good. Team, with the mics, let's go. Cool. So, I'm just going to ask this last question, and then we go straight into Q&A. So, this is for all of you... How do you keep the same hunger, energy, and determination you had at the beginning of your journey to achieve even greater things when everyone else is convinced that you're already winning? I feel like you said something about this earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. um, That winning thing, right? It's always so hilarious. And I'm, I'm quite certain almost everyone that's here today has arrived at some kind of milestone of theirs where it's like, yeah, this person is... Like, Nene Masangu is winning. <laughs> and you feel like, mm, I'm, I'm not so sure. Mm. <laughs> How do I keep the, the, the hunger and the, and the fire for it? I feel like the fire burns me first. I don't always have the hunger for it. I... Okay, how do I say this? So, when I think of my relationship with music... I used to be bullied when I was much younger. I was busy sharing that sub story with someone at the table. And music was always the thing that I did that would shut you up. Because you can bully me all you want. You can say my skin is too dark. You can say I'm a weirdo. But as soon as I get on that stage, I will make you keep quiet. Right? And so I established a warmth when it came to the relationship with music. Music was always the place that I went to hide away. When I was feeling some kind of way, I would just listen to a song that speaks to that experience. You know, but it was when I became a professional musician that I realized that as much as music is the hideaway, as much as it is my pedestal, it is also very much the thing that I can hate. It is a thing that I can resent when I feel like I'm not getting things, when I feel like things are not going my way, when I feel like this journey is presenting itself a certain way and I want want this to be the script, I realize that such extreme negative emotion can be attached where I resent the very thing that was a warm space for me, you know? And I've learned to accept that both of those things are true and both of those things are beautiful because, I mean, Saturday might be feeling grumpy towards music, but by Tuesday, 
I know. <laughs> I know what time it is. And so for me, I think the fire has always been the one that burns me. That's the one that keeps me going. Mm. And I think it's such a beautiful relationship to have with something that you are building and cultivating. Uh, it's like a relationship that you'd have with a human being. You know, there's some sides to Zoe where it's like, oof, I don't really like this about Zoe. Like, I find maybe she's like, she's weird or she's whatever, she's stuck up or whatever. But, ooh, she makes me feel warm inside. Mm. And when I'm around her, I just, I find myself laughing. And I feel like that's how I relate with this journey of music for me. That, that, that's, that's the fire. It's just the, the truth of the matter. That's what the fire is. And it's always the true north that I can go to. When I feel like there's a lot happening in my head, I always know that that's the place that I go to. And I love that place so much. Mm. And when I see people in an audience and I'm performing music that I believe is meaningful, music that I believe is uplifting us, music that I believe is reflecting the times, music that I believe is not, it's not a brand new idea from me, but it's taking from people that come before me. It's a conversation of lineage and the power of the fact that I come from something so much bigger than me, that I'm not the first person to do it, that before me there was a Lebu Matosa, before me there was a Miriam Makeba, a Simpiretan, Hawaii, there was a Busim Songo, and knowing that that is that's what gives me the fire, that I just get to contribute a small part to that wonderful story that makes me feel like, wow, I'm a part of something bigger. That, that lights my fire. Oh, yes. um, well, I, I mean, for me, it's not unsimilar, but I mean, firstly, in the arts, you are as good as your last hit, <laughs> and um, somebody else comes with a hit, and then you're gone. So <laughs> whatever that is, whether it's a photograph or a song or a television series, um, when, you've, when you've poured yourself into something and it's been successful, and you for that moment enjoy that. And for me, success is when people are engaging in it. Success is not about awards or uh, it's nice to get, but actually it's about when people are responding and engaging and talking and arguing, and it's creating a conversation. And when that conversation starts to dry out, it's just... It's just an automatic reigniting that says, okay, what's the new conversation? What's the new thing that um, we should be exploring and talking about to get society um, talking? And to, you know, I think most of what we do in the creative space is to get people communicating. And so you can't help but look for what the next thing is. But I think there's another thing for me that uh, I think often in the South African creative space is that I'm really driven by building brands that will exist for a long time, that create a platform for new people to tell their stories. And I think creating a safe space for new generations of storytellers, it's hard. It's a brutal space, the creative world. Um, recently, I, uh, I lost, uh, we lost our partner at BOM, Tabojo Matlatsi, who's a really incredible storyteller. And um, we were partners for 26 years. And when I sat back and I looked at his body of work, I suddenly realized that actually he wasn't a filmmaker, he was an artist. 
And he used this medium of film to create art. And it is a br brutal space. And so for me, I'm very driven by wanting to create a space where creative people can create beautiful things in a safe way and earn a living um, doing it. And I think that fire just doesn't go out. Mm. Thank you. I mean, is it okay that I'm addicted to winning? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that the full answer? Are we good? Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's absolutely That's it. Um, so I think we have a... So we're going to go straight into Q&A. You guys get to ask your questions. Um, I think we have a mic over here. Oh, there we go. Um, is this on? Yes. Uh, ladies, I just want to thank you for affirming me as, as a woman seeing other women just unapologetically speak about ambition and being creative and succeeding and failing and still coming out on top. It's a very affirming feeling. And I just wanted to thank you for that, for being so genuine and honest in these conversations. Um, Sis Nunu, for, your, for the limitless of, limitlessness of your ambition, I find that extremely inspiring. Uh, Sis Desiree, I only watch Izo Izo this year. <laughs> so, I know, I know. <laughs> And the feeling I got from watching Yizo Yizo, I just felt a rebelliousness, lessness to stop speaking English. I just didn't want to speak English in meetings. I just wanted to speak, you know, my, my toti tal. It just made me love, because I'm from the township. It just made me love where I, where I came from again. And I just want to thank you for that. And Zoe, when, the first time I heard Umdali, that ding, ding. My soul just like ascended. And that piece of creativity just, it felt like a prayer. I don't speak Kosa, but it felt like a prayer to God. And I just want to also thank you for giving us that. From creative to creative, that is one beautiful piece of artistry. And my question to all of you is, in which part of the creative process do you guys consider the audience? Because the audience is that second partner in this dance of life as creatives that we can't ignore, even though we want to. And yeah, where, where, where in that journey do you consider the audience? Thank you. I'll start in, because of almost had two creative journeys. I think in everything that you do when you do storytelling, and I did it through, through ads, through advertising, um, the audience is everything. Um, the audience is absolutely everything. And then on the other side, in tech, the audience does not know what the audience wants. Mm. You build it for them, and they come. So... It depends which part of the audience you're talking about. Even in advertising, sometimes you have to tell people a story that they, have, they did not know they were expecting. However, it's very, very important to be able to understand the story, where are consumers going, and give them that. And then on the other side in tech, we just build. And if people don't like, we reiterate, we iterate, we iterate, we iterate. So you build something. Nobody woke up and said, I needed an iPhone. 
nobody woke up and said, you know what we need now is an app with pictures, which is Instagram. Nobody ever says that. So be careful to keep your creative spirit. Not everybody's going to tell you what they want. People don't always know what they want. So audience doesn't know in tech. That's what innovation is all about. We sit here. And that's why she needs to sit long at night and think about things. As innovators, we also need to sit and think about what else does this world require? What does it need? What's new? What's different? And go out there and build it. And sometimes you listen to the audience and you give them what you want. So sorry, I'm giving you a double answer. But it truly depends on what you're looking for. And sometimes we did not know we needed Woolies shopping to be delivered at our door. But now I can't live without delivery <laughs> options. So that's the power of technology. So those are the kind of... So it really, truly depends. I would always say even in advertising, although you know what your audience want, just delight them from time to time mm. with something that they're not expecting. So that element of delight, surprise, innovate, keep it there somewhere. Mm. Mm. Um, well, I mean, I mean, for me, audience is really so important in the dialogue that you have. Um, and uh, I think sometimes we try to overthink what we think audiences want because if something was successful, we want to copy that thing because, oh, you know, everybody's into this right now, let's do that. But I think if you really sit and listen, you start to hear what audiences want is about what's happening in our society. Uh, are we reflecting what's happening around us in an accurate way? Or are we giving the antidote to that? Mm -hmm. If we're feeling really negative about ourselves... The antidote is to tell stories about how great we once were. And when we're feeling really strong about ourselves, perhaps the antidote is to say, but hold on a second, this is not so cool. So I think it's just about listening all the time. And I, and I think our audiences tell us, not necessarily in the words that you get on Twitter, which says, you know, we love this or flame emojis or whatever. But, <laughs> <laughs> those are the ones I'm looking for always. <laughs> when I see the others, I just scroll past. <laughs> but then you go back to those others and you go, okay, why is that person feeling that way, that one voice that you think, okay, I can't ignore that one voice and are there other voices like that? Um, I, d I don't know. You know, sometimes I think that in the, in the old days, the BBC was this really big, brave organisation that could put anything, and they took the the, uh, the the they took the responsibility of saying, we need to give audiences what we think they need: education, great documentaries, and so on. Nowadays, we live in a world that if you don't get immediate lots of likes or TVRs, you're out, mm -hmm. and so we're not making great content anymore because we're allowing the algorithm in some ways to push us. And I think as creators, you've got to sometimes say, hold on, you've got to push against that algorithm because actually we need to be creating content that is deeper than what's going to get the, the likes. Is it going to get people talking? Is it going to piss people off in a moment? And I think our, our audiences tell us that in multiple ways. I mean, you can gather it from many sources. So, yeah. This is such an interesting question. Uh, I have an album called Yellow the Novel. That had nothing to do with anyone. That was probably the most selfish piece mm -hmm. of work 
it was me wanting, maybe there was a bit of proving a point there, if I'm being honest, because I was coming straight from jazz studies. I wanted to showcase that I knew what an A-flat major this and that was and compositions and this is the first album and I want to do everything myself, you know, but I also love the fact that, you know, it was a true representation of myself blocking the noise out at the time and and I I, I always loved that about it. Um, Audience is everything, but I find that with my stories, it has to be a little ahead and what I mean by that is not, I swear I'm not trying to be a pick-me right now, but there, in 2020, I released an album called Inganeguan, which was an album that celebrated black bodies um, and was kind of walking into, thanks, our experiences and all of that. But there was nothing unique in that. I was isolated from everything, but I was just being curious about the world around me and about the experiences that we have as black bodies and why, you know, I was in a state of just questioning everything all the time. And then these songs wrote themselves. I mean, I was terrified of writing in Isizulu, which is my, my mother tongue. I felt like I wasn't equipped. I felt like I didn't have the poetry to carry the messages through. Uh, but at the back of my mind, I did want to write for Ukokonomkul. I wanted to write for my community. I wanted to write the same people that I observed growing up, the same people that were in a copy Upilane, I remember there was a guy called Pilane that used to live literally right next door to me. And he, what is a copy in English? A tin. There was like a tin, a make, like a makeshift tin, tin shack. A shack. Yes, thank you, Sis Oluetu. So there was like a, a shack that was right outside our kitchen. And Upilane, oh God bless him, is no longer alive anymore, but his influence and his taste in music was so rich. It was so pure. He listened to everything from Rebecca Malope to Kwaito Mbanga. He was listening to every single thing. And I wanted a body of work that spoke to that because that was my beginning as well, you know. But when I was saying uh, earlier about being ahead, I was talking about Inganegwane and the songs that were written there, but I realized I wasn't the only person who was catching it. It's like catching Ingelosi, uh, angels. Um, there's this singer called Unogwazi. I don't know. She sings uh, So we were in a songwriting camp and she shared this very fascinating idea of how, I, how songs come like angels. Don't miss out on the angel. So I'm always looking for that angel Mm. And I'm always looking for that thing. And I realized when I had written Umdali and released that, that Ubutle Bendalo also had a song called Umdali. And, and, and I feel like that's the beauty of ideas, is that like we're all constantly catching them and we have the honor of having those moments with them. And I think that's how I relate to whether work is, is for people. It is of people, it is for people, but it's also just that catching that thing, that dandelion, you know, mm. and then blowing it away, blowing it back to people, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we have another question here. Uh, thank you so much for this beautiful evening. You all look stunning today. 
Um, I'm a public speaking coach. I'm an actress, and I work a lot with stories and storytelling, helping people have the confidence to stand in certain spaces where they can share their stories. And I have a saying, and I tell this to my clients a lot of the time, I say, sharing your story has the same impact as reaching out your hand to pull somebody up. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do, right? You use music, you use TV, you use tech to pull people up. I'm quite interested in that story that pulled you up. So what story was it for you that where you were at your lowest, perhaps, because as a creator, as an entrepreneur, as a builder, you're not always on top of your game. So what story, and perhaps it's not even something to share today, maybe something to consider and think about. What story was it that was that hand that pulled you up? Any That's volunteers? That's a deep question. We're <laughs> 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 <For> all like... <laughs> Desiree Um, uh, Actually funnily enough One of the lowest points for me Was after What is now considered a big success But there was a time um, After Hizo Hizo Where we were basically just persona non grata As a company And as a group of creatives And we were persona non grata because um, there was a, a loud voice that said, you know, we were telling uh, a negative black story mm-hmm. and that we were depicting um, black life in a negative way. And that had never been our intention. Our intention had been to depict what was happening at that particular time. And, you know, we're going back nearly 30 years now and it was post-democracy and we were in this, you know, exciting moment where we were talking about a rainbow nation and blah, blah, blah. But there was drama and terrible things happening at schools and our schools were in a crisis and kids were in a crisis and parents were unable to um, get involved Um, because we thought that teachers and headmasters and the schooling system was there to protect us, but it was a big wake-up call that that wasn't happening. And in a way, I think we were really, um, you know, uh, don't don't shoot the messenger. And it was a very difficult time, and we Mm. had absolutely nothing. We, uh, I mean, I I had a tiny little house that we put on hock, and that's what we sort of paid salaries for, and, but we believed that we were telling important stories. Mm. And that re- relationship with the viewer was important to us. Um, and that, you know, I, I think that in that moment, it was that relationship with the viewer that actually pulled us in this little business out of what felt like an impossible situation because all the money closed up. Even the advertising industry at that time <laughs> wouldn't touch us. They didn't want to be associated with it. We were the quieto of, you know, television. I don't know, it was just that time. Um, but I think really believing and feeling you've got a purpose in what you do, for, for us, is actually what pulled us through that moment. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Hmm. <laughs> I think there's a career story and a, a life story. So it's not one thing. Um, when I when I first got into uh, advertising, um, they just needed people hands, so they fetched me because I hadn't worked for six months, and my father was getting worried that she'd spent so much money and I wasn't getting any jobs. So I ended up there, and some 
excuse me for the white people, but some people were given a job to write Omo ads. And there was something called an Omo mailbag. And people used to write their stained stories in Isizulu, Nestruba, Palelego, Omo mailbag. And I was asked to come and read those stories so I can tell um, the group of white creative people what they were saying and find the interesting stories, read them in Isizulu and then tell them. And they did the ads. Mm. And I didn't have an office. I didn't have a, a desk. They literally came and put a, a desk at the corner in somebody's office so I could read, sit there and read and give them at least six stories. And that's, I knew that one day I'll come back and change all of this because mm -hmm. that was literally, yeah, it was fucked up. <laughs> I like said And they won and won, went ahead and won awards for writing those beautiful ads. But I had to sit through the Omo mailbag and read Story Saga Mamdamin and say, yeah, I think this story sounds great. So I always look back at that and like, that's the story that, so when you ask me, I knew that I'd come back one day and, and win because that was <laughs> my point. I think at a personal level, um, thought that my life was okay, my career was go going right. I sat in front of a doctor. I had a couple of meetings. I sat in front of a doctor. And the doctor said to me, so sorry. The diagnosis is that we've diagnosed you with breast cancer, and it's the kind of breast cancer that we cannot treat. You almost have two years maximum. <clears throat> and um, that was 19 years ago. So I've spent... So that's what pulled me. So every year that I spent and every day I spent, I promised myself that I'd make it meaningful. So that's why I'm here today. Mm. So. Yeah, wow. So deeply moving. Um, um, I think for me... Um, there was a time, so I have a bit of an identity crisis, right? Being a black body, ah, Rainbow Nation, he's a easel. <laughs> Not allowed to watch it, too young. <laughs> but I have a little bit of an identity crisis, you know. On the one end, I'm meant to assimilate to this world that I get to now be a part of. On the other end, I'm trying to keep my identity my language intact, the idea of myself, of the way I come from. Um, and I remember I just recorded the album in Ganegwane and it was mostly written in my mother tongue. And I was feeling so insecure about it because I, I just felt like it had no footing. No one had heard it at the time. And I remember I would just always piggy bank. Uh, there's a gentleman called Banda Banda that I work very closely with. And I would just piggy bank, literally go to him. He was a bassist for at the time. And I would just go and watch King Ty's shows. And I was like, oh yeah, like, like this is why, this is it. You know, there was something so affirming just taking in how she's able to move space and 
put people into a trance in the way that she did, it was exactly the thing that I needed to see that kind mm. of pulled me out from, from the space that, of inadequacy that I had about what I had to contribute. And where I landed in that was that I finally realized that, okay, fine, I mean, this is the reality that I have, but there are so many other people that have the same reality that I do, and if nothing else, those will be the people that I speak to, the people that are like, what is this? Who am I? What's going on? I can't make sense of existing in two worlds and having to shapeshift in between all of them. Um, but yeah, so King Ta. So we have just two more questions, one from this side and then I think one at the end there. So we'll start over here. Good evening, everyone. Um, that was an incredible question from the lady. Sure. Yeah. It's a very tough question to follow. I, I hope I don't disappoint. My name is Lerato Motsulokhane. I'd like to thank you, ladies, for sharing your incredible stories. Um, a few th points have stood up to me in, in all of your stories this evening. One being authenticity, bravery, the power of relationships, and creating your own table. I think two in particular resonate with me, which is creating your own table. Um, I founded a business in the heart of COVID and um, during a very difficult period of my life. And that is why I think bravery is a second point that I'd like to highlight. Um, we can all agree not to dampen the mood, but we can all agree that we're living in very tough times. Um, incredibly tough times. Sometimes I, I wake up and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> um, and at the end of the day, you know, you're just grateful for the fact that you've gotten through the day. And what I'd like to ask all of you ladies is, how does one show up with such bravery and bravado with all these adversities, being, you know, geopolitical issues, you know, unpredictability in markets, and just how we've been traumatized as a nation. Um, just ESCOM is, is one of them, and I think. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, quite counterproductive to, to live in the times that we live with. So how do you show up with such brave bravery in creating your own table? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about these incredible women that I'm sharing this moment with and all of you, but I think if there's one thing that I've learned since I've began doing what I do is just creating my own table. Um, it's only after I was creating my table with like-minded people who believed in the vision of what was being made that I started being invited to tables. It was never <laughs> before that. Ever, 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 ever. I learned how to put my own shows together when that wasn't the thing to do. Um, I learned what, what putting this world together that music lovers are going to be experiencing on the other side is. I, I, I acquired all of those skills when a lot of people uh, wouldn't have to that do what I do uh, because there was no other way that I was going to do what I do. <laughs> But I think it, it ended up being such an empowering space. It's empowering to know that my job doesn't start when I put my makeup on 
and I wear my costume and I wear my heels and I do my vocal warm-ups and I sing in front of an audience. It's beautiful for me and it's empowering for me to know that my job begins at the grassroots level with the idea that this is going to happen in the first place. And I get to be a part of the conversations that then build this little performance embryo into a performance fetus, you know, for a lack of a better example or a lack of better, you know. Um, so all, all I've known is just taking the wood, shaping it, putting, you know, screws on it, putting nice candles. I don't know if my table looked like this one, but, you know, it was a table nevertheless, and it's beautiful to then be invited onto other incredible tables having built my own as well you know yeah. Yeah. I mean for me it's just like what's the alternative yeah. <laughs> it's worse <laughs> to sit and do nothing yeah. and, and, mm. and even when it's the worst time you know that's the time to get up in the morning and say what can I do because other people are feeling the same way and storytelling is so powerful so I feel very blessed and I'm extremely grateful because it's in the worst times that storytelling is the most important. Mm. You know, you'd think, oh, it's frivolous, doesn't matter. But actually, it's the thing mm. that we all need and feed off when things are bad. And I, I think that, you know, the story that's being told to a young generation is, you know, the world is screwed and, you know, we're going to fry and there's global warming and there's, <laughs> it's just terrible. There's no food and we're all going to die. Yeah. And... This is not a good story to tell our children. You know, we have to, we have to give them a, a sense of fighting power, a sense of um, you can make a change. It doesn't matter how small it is. It starts with you making a change. It starts with me getting up in the morning and saying, I'm going to tell a story or I'm going to try and put a new project together. Or So I think there's no other option. Yeah. Firstly, congratulations on starting your company during COVID. Yeah. And um, as the person also introduced the whole idea of bravery, just remember to give yourself permission sometimes not to be brave too. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So we have one last question. Um, I believe at that end of the table. So... <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Buipelo Mabi. And my question is very much related to something that I've experienced and that I know a lot of creatives also experience. And it's really about the balance between profit and purpose. Um, so, Desiree, you did mention a little bit, you know, just the idea of being a creative but still being able to make a living. So I'm going to ask it from, you know, my personal perspective and experience that, especially as a woman, how do you make that balance or strike that balance between purpose and profit? And um, especially knowing that, you know, you still need to make money. You still want to grow as well. Personally, I've made the pivot from being in mainstream media into corporate um, you know, partly as part of my pursuing profit. So in your experiences, in your journeys, how has that been 
um, you know, something that you've tried to or have successfully so strike a balance. Thanks. Mm. Um, Only easy questions. <laughs> yeah, very easy questions. Um, I mean, I think it is. A, it's, it's always a careful. Um, you have to find balance. Um, if you have purpose in something that you do and you're passionate about it, the likelihood is that you're going to do something well because you care about it. You're going to put that extra energy in. Generally, if you go for the low-hanging fruit because it's easy to get, you treat it with the same slight bit of contempt. Mm. So, so I think that sometimes going, taking the harder path is the thing that builds you something much more fundamental and solid. Mm. And, I, and it's, it's not only purpose, it's about the significance of it. Is it something that is significant to you? That you know, I, I, I did a lot of nonsense television when I was young, when I was growing up and learning about stuff. And for me, the moment was, well, who, who cares about this? Who do I want to show this to? I don't want to show this to anybody. I'm a little bit embarrassed to even say that I did it. Actually, but it's okay because it's part of learning. And you learn by making mistakes. But at the point where you're starting your own business or you're wanting to grow, you have to say, why is this important to me? And, and yeah. It... Would you guys like to give it another chance? Or would you like I to... I don't think we all have to answer it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one last question um, just to end things off. So having earned your place, pioneered new ventures had extraordinary creative endeavors and kept building your legacy. How are you enabling the next generation of entrepreneurs and creators to earn their seat at the table? What does it actually take to be here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> um, I'll start because I actually um, there's nothing that I'm doing right now. And, and sometimes we enable the next generation by doing, by bringing them in, by nurturing them, by advising them, by doing all of that. I think right now the only way I can enable the next generation is what I've been. If they can be better than what I've been. If I could be the example that they can be, that's the next best thing that they can be. I don't know, for me, I think that just automatically, as I've got older, I've been more interested in engaging with younger people. Um, I, I, you know, often people don't give young people space in the room because you, you, experience is important. And it's true, experience is important, but you only get experience if you've had a seat at the table. So, and a seat at the table doesn't mean automatically in the beginning you know, you've got a voice at that table. And I can be quite tough about that to say you haven't Mm. earned the right to speak. You've Mm. earned the right to sit here, but you haven't earned the right to have an opinion yet. And and I think that's important because I think part of growing and nurturing young people is also to be truthful Mm. and and to stop them from saying stupid things that are (laughs) going to hurt them. Um, or, or make, make them see, you know, it makes the next person not be interested in them. So for me, it is about um, being quite hands-on at the moment. I feel like I've got the energy to be quite hands-on in nurturing 
uh, young people around me in, in growing in the industry. Yeah. Thank you. Imagine answering that question after such world builders. <laughs> My goodness. But I feel like I, I have tried to um, be in, in spaces where I'm able to mentor younger people just because there's been so much watering that has been done for me. So um, there have been collaborations with concerts, essay, going to schools that don't necessarily have the opportunities that I've had to be able to study music formally, where we go and you perform as a band, so they get to interact with it in real time and ask questions. And um, another proud thing I was a part of was the uh, Heritage Careers Expo, where I was able to do master classes. But what I loved about these master classes was not so much just that it was about music and and having these conversations with younger artists, but it was the fact that the cornerstone of those conversations was centered around heritage. And I feel like heritage is the thing that stands us apart from everyone else, you know? And um, it kind of reminds me of Umasigela, who actually came to my high school. Mm-hmm. So he, 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 he's one of those people that watered, you know? But he says something beautiful about how he realized that his worth didn't come from his skill set, but it came from just the value of being African and African culture and being able to spread that far and wide. I feel like I'm learning, so the idea of teaching and giving to the next is a little bit warped and weird for me, but I'm open to anyone that is willing to, or that sees value in having me in their spaces to be able to have those conversations. And I like to learn from younger people as well, you know, I actually, I, I really enjoy the, the perspective of looking at things from people who have established all kinds of incredible worlds like these incredible women, but also people who just let their ideas run wild. So I find that maybe I'm learning. I'm learning a lot more now and I'm, I'm, I'm observing, I'm observe, I'm absorbing. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just asked to make a comment before um, everything closes off. I had picked up my hand, but they didn't see it. Um, I just wanted to make a comment because I don't have time to have a question. But you guys, and I don't know who curated this panel, but thank you so much. Thank you so much. I mean, for, for so long, you know, during the year and especially on Women's Month, we get asked, what do women want? What do women need? What, what are we? What is our representation? What do we need to celebrate? We need to celebrate this. We're not a monolith. We're not one size fits all. We all can nod along and agree to each other and agree to each other's opinions, but we don't necessarily walk in each other's footsteps. We're different. Um, we all have different representations mm-hmm. and different ways of being and expression. And you guys are the epitome of that in this country. You know, thank you so much, Nuno, Desiree, and Zoe, for just being the epitome of excellence in your own spaces and in your own rights, living your truth and living your beings and being as nuanced as you are. We truly appreciate seeing that. And you are literally, we, we see that. And that's what, the kind of excellence that we aspire for yeah. and the, the kind of movement that we'd like to be able to represent in ourselves and that we raise the kind of children that can view women as nuanced as we are. Thank you so much for that. I think 
it was very important just to express gratitude for the incredible, incredible visionaries we had sharing their journeys of excellence, incredible journeys of challenges and how they overcame them. Um, I just want to give an, a round of applause to the incredible panel that we had. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the MASH Startup Podcast. Making Moments Volume 3, a seat at the table presented by Rupert and Rothschild. For more moments from the event, make sure to follow at Rupert and Rothschild on Instagram. It's only fitting that we close this special episode with a toast. Here's to the times you broke boundaries and knocked down obstacles. Here's to the times you failed but continued without losing any enthusiasm. Let's raise a glass to your successes, small and large, with South Africa's premier winemaker, Rupert and Rothschild. Thank you. <laughs>